It's Just Business with Steve Thomas and your host, Chris Larry. Hello and welcome to another episode of It's Just Business on the Hogstyle Network, the show where we look at the dollars and the cents of the sports media industrial complex. Uh, and here we sit in the early part of the fall where that complex kind of is waking from its slumber and getting ready to roar through the fall. How you doing today, Steve? I'm doing all right, man. How about you? Not bad. Not bad. Um, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to do a little housekeeping to start us off. You may have noticed, you may be listening to us. We now have uh, our own feed. There is the It's Just Business feed, which is still part of the Hogside Network, but is now separating out in terms of how you can listen to us. So you can find us now uh, with our own cool graphic and our own name and our own RSS feeds anywhere you find your pods. So, uh, you know, Spotify, Apple, all those good places. If, uh, especially on Spotify and Apple, if you could give us a review, if you could give us five stars, we'd love to hear feedback. We actually had some good interaction on our Twitter account, uh, picking up from our last show. That was fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's, um, we've kind of lived in the shadow of the hog side forever and, it's you know in part because we were being cheap you know we didn't have our own feed and and uh it's it's good to kind of separate out because we really want to you know uh increase this the scope of the show because we think we have a great show here so i would appreciate it if everybody would do that and we are on twitter at what is it on twitter that's it we should have that ready but um <laughs> either one of us <laughs> even know what it is. okay it's it's just business pod and there was some reason why it, we couldn't have it's just business. So, but it's it's at just business spot. So please follow us there, um, too. Um, but my big news, of course, Chris, is that I'm going this week to the bastion of liberalism itself up in New York City here for a couple days uh, this coming week. So, I mean, do I need to protect myself? Do I need to hire security? I can't carry a gun because New York is, you know, anti Second Amendment. So I'm, I'm, my, my mother is greatly concerned about my personal safety. Do I, should I be worried? No, uh, 0%, 0% worried, uh, is what I would be. Um, if I were you, I, I guess I live this reality. Um, you know what you, you said a liberal bastion, but you, we probably would not have a Republican house of representatives. If it wasn't for the state of New well, York. That is true. Not for Keep not that in mind. Manhattan, but because of the rest uh, of New York. Not yes, not Manhattan, but Manhattan is not even is only still only one fifth of New York City. Um, I don't know if people understand this. What you're saying. So what what happened is that a lot, several districts in upstate New York. Well, no, not just upstate. There's even bedroom suburbs around the city too. Fair enough. All of them flipped to GOP. And by the way, they, they weren't a bunch of Trump sycophants that did that either. And it really is, ironically, New York State, if that had not happened, the bad guys would still have control of the House. And so uh, we can thank New York State for installing at least a bevy of sanity in Congress via the GOP majorities, which is ironic that we can thank New York for that. Uh, it's not ironic. It's just that most people have very little understanding of New York politics. Well, it, d- d- I guess what I mean is, to the average person saying New York is responsible for the Republican majority sounds like irony, even though because like you said, I, I'm aware that outside of Manhattan is a dramatically different uh, uh, split of political thought than in Manhattan. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you could argue that Manhattan and Staten Island basically cancel each other out. And then you have you still and you still have three boroughs, so it, which are and those three boroughs you know, probably have a little bit, you know, kind of a more mixed. They're huge places, first of all. You know, Brooklyn would be the third largest city in America if it was its own city. So right away, you can see the size. That's and that's a, not, that, Brooklyn's a firm Democratic majority, though. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, for sure. But that's as much because that the Democratic Party is the only legitimate party, really, for a while, which means the Democratic Party actually has large degrees of variance in political ideology. It's just a big tent. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, 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 tell me this though: 
if there's one thing I should do in my short time, I won't have a ton of time in Manhattan. Other than going to the best guitar shop, whatever it is, in the city, what should I do in my free time? Well, you can't, especially if the weather's nice, and I think you're, it, it will be, probably. In fact, probably be a little bit on the hot side. Um, Not to me. I live in South Texas. Right. Uh, the, um, and now I just forget, the, the uh, what's the? No, I have been. The High Line. Before. I've the been to New York before and done a lot of New York stuff. Just right. So, so this is something that's relatively new. And I say new, it's probably 20 years. Uh, the High Line, you know what the High Line is? I do not. So actually, a lot of people don't know this because they think about New York, they think about subways, they think about Chicago, and they think about elevated trains. But the first mass transit system in New York in the late 1800s actually were elevated trains. It was more like Chicago, and then they started to go underground. So the High Line was an old abandoned elevated train that went up the west side of Manhattan. Um, it just was, a you know, <laughs> just abandoned for 50, 60, 80 years. You know, it's probably a shooting gallery in the whole nine. Uh, Bloomberg, I believe it was Bloomberg, um, ushered in one of the most successful public-private partnership projects and reconverted the majority of the downtown High Line into one giant walking park um, that sits just about like a story, about yeah, two stories above Manhattan. And there's, they have, you know, they, they have like glass viewing areas. There's tons of art. There's it's super landscaped. That's and so and there's places there's awesome food trucks you can walk and you can kind of not walk the busy city streets you can walk up the high line but then if there's something you want to go then you can just like walk down the stairs and go to the city so I I think a walk on the high line probably is a good wreck you find you gave me a good suggestion I like that one that's very good you actually do know the city of course <laughs> I've been here since 1996 <laughs> who knew Chris knew New York <laughs> here's what you can tell your mom. Tell your mom, and she just might think I'm crazy. You all might think I'm crazy, but I send my 15-year-old daughter back and forth to school on the New York City subway every day. In Manhattan. In Brooklyn, but in you Brooklyn. Know, yeah. You put her on the subway. She leaves the house, locks the door behind her, walks to the subway, gets on the subway, goes to school, and then does the the whole thing. Because the subway is the one thing I have decided I'm going to avoid. I don't want to be pushed off the subway, accosted by criminals. Accosted by protesters, any of that. So the subway, I was had decided to not do. Uh, subway's fine, but um, but yeah. So yeah. So she, right? I, I trust that she can ride the subway herself to school. Wow, okay. trusting father, along with millions of other New York City school kids. Well, there's no busing. There's oh, there's, there's no, no busing, huh? No, I mean, well, in some remote places. I'm not saying none throughout the five boroughs, but the majority not. So they just they're all, on their all own school kids. Basically. Well, they get issued. They get issued student uh, metro cards, so they don't. You, no one has to pay, you know. So it's the same philosophy as busing, but there's no literal. Buses. I would just, yeah. I mean, it would take a while, I think, for me to get used to allowing a kid to do that. I mean, maybe that comes from being a lifetime in the city, I guess. Yeah, and I'm, I, I, you know, I'm acting all. Casually. I wouldn't do that in Houston I, either. Don't get me wrong. I mean, and, I'm not a inner city person, though. Well, that's true. But so she is. So at this point, you know, she's got the street smarts. She did the first couple months. Every day she'd come home. I, can you believe I saw this on the subway? I'm like, you got to stop with this because, yes, I believe anything you see in the subway. It's not that, <laughs> it's not that remarkable. <laughs> and after a while, like, you know, only the really weird stuff would make it to the dinner room table. Well, she's not seen anything in the subway that dad hasn't seen way more times, I would guess. Yeah, or been involved in. Um, <laughs> don't, I don't want to hear your kinks, man. I think it's her best transition. <laughs> I'll give you a clean story. Okay. She did say these kids came running and then jumped on top of the trains and jumped from train to train and then got to the other side of the uh, the other side of the station where the trains go the opposite way and then ran down the stairs. She's like, Are these "What? Like the professional basketball players? I mean, how do you uh, who jump knows? on top of the train?" Well, I, you know, uh, with parkour, maybe, you know, that's very big now. <laughs> okay, what? You, one more real quick. The strangest thing you've personally ever seen in a New York City subway. Oh, man. That is actually a pretty good question. Well, I'd say, I'd say the strangest thing that happened to me was I was in the, I was in the subway on my way home from work when the, I think I just figured this out the other day, the 2003 blackout, the one that hit a lot of the Northeast. Yeah. Um, uh, 2002. So I was, so I had, you, you know, the whole kind of, 
wait, did who turned out the lights, everything, you know, you're everything just like the sound, even woo, you know, everything kind of go away. And then like waiting, what the hell's going on, blah, blah, blah. And then we had to like, you know, exit the train on in the tunnels and make our way to the light. And then you still didn't know what the heck was going on. And then everyone's pouring out into the streets. And, you know, th- this isn't that, that far after 9-11, so, which I was there for as well. So, you know, pe- people were still a little spooked about something that, like, is happening everywhere and no one knew, knew what it was. So that was probably the weirdest thing ever happened to me. That's not like, you know, some weird, like, you know, donkey show or something. On the <laughs> but um, th- I tell you what, the, the thing that you have to look out for the most uh, is you – the smells you know you can get hit with some pretty exotic smells and when there's a person crumpled up on the seat you know excreting four smells into a bouquet you know that that's just, that's Thanks probably god the, knows whatever's flowing out of the person <laughs> yeah that that is that is the regular most horrifying thing okay well fair enough yeah that must say there wasn't like some like voice in the sky telling you there's a power outage or anything like that they eventually did but i think they they didn't know for a little while i mean you know like so and it quite frankly just because of managing of trains it's not that weird for you to pause for like 30 or 60 seconds it just probably means that yeah just because you know they got to make sure one train's out while another especially in rush hour times it's just like you know like you can go stop whatever so sitting there for like a minute or so it it didn't everyone was non-plus for a second and then got to like a minute, two minute, and things didn't click back. Then, and then I think they eventually said something, but I don't remember. Sometimes, well, <laughs> when you when you live in the suburbs of a city built on a swamp, there's no such thing as subways for me. Yeah, well, we're not too far from the sea level either. One of the crazy, one of the craziest things I ever learned was that the Dutch, you know, the first settlers, uh, New Amsterdam, if you know your history, uh, actually were so afraid, basically. Of- the wilderness of Man- rest of Manhattan um, and and the Native Americans at that point that they built land, they built land. So basically, the whole southern tip of Manhattan was actually Dutch engineering, just building south onto the island rather than going north into the wilderness. That's a, that's kind of like a, what, is it out off the Dubai where they built those islands? Right, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah that kind and of the thing. Dutch have been like the world leaders in that kind of crap for you know centuries. Well, there you go. If you're visiting New York now, you have a couple things to do, and you have some good subway stories. The other thing you might do, I'll give you one more. Since okay. you're a rock and roll fan, you might head down to the East Village and walk like St. Mark's Play. I mean, you're you're gonna, you know, <laughs> you'll see the weird New York. You know that I wouldn't be scared of it. But you know, if you go, you like you can go to the. I can tell you right how to get to the physical graffiti apartment. You know, the Led Zeppelin album, physical yeah, yeah, graffiti yeah, physical album graffiti. cover. I can tell you, right, you go to St. Mark's and 2nd Avenue. And See, I don't know so, if I'm going to have time to get way down there, though. So, But those kind of things are fun, too. And it's also a little rock and roll trivia. Also, the steps where the Rolling Stones shot the Waiting on a Friend video. So it's the, the, the that album, Led Zeppelin album cover, is the exact same stoop that... They shot that video. Where is it? Which fe- it's a uh, Lower Manhattan, East Village, St. Mark's Place, and I think uh, between First and Second Avenue, maybe okay. I might be off. Might be Second and Third. If I get way down there, I may call you. Yeah, it's cool. It actually you can see it right there. Like, oh, that's the Led Zeppelin album cover. Well, that's neat. Yeah, tons of those things. All right, we should probably move on. We've wasted like half the show. <laughs> Well, this is like season. I, maybe I should do. Maybe I should pull a Rick Snyder. Maybe I should do. Uh, you know, like New York City tourism. Give me two minutes. <laughs> Give me two minutes. <laughs> Physical graffiti. Uh, waiting on a friend. All right, Steve. Well, we know that Disney and Comcast are are waiting. I don't think they're friends. No, no, they're not. They're definitely not friends. So if you've been paying attention, or you are a Comcast. Um, subscriber, you know that Disney currently is, in fact, not on in none of the Disney channels. Now, what's this kind of thing in some respects has happened before, but this is very different, which is why we want to talk about it. Usually, when there have been fights like this between providers and cable, it's always just about carriage fees and they're trying to argue about, you know, who's going to pay what. This is slightly different because. The company owns this as Charter Communications. 
did I get? Is this Comcast? This is Comcast, right? Um, so Charter, no, it's not Comcast. Charter. It's Charter. Yeah, but Charter is the parent company. See, we should. The, Chris is going to figure out what exactly. I, I'm not sure it's Comcast, but um, so here's the deal. Then here's what makes it different. What Charter Communications wants is for Disney to provide their customers with access to all the paid streaming services without an additional cost. And their rationale here basically is um, kind of twofold, which is one, they're they're recognizing where the business is going, which is paid streaming services, and they're trying to keep themselves relevant by wanting to offer things like Disney Plus. Hulu, um, ESPN Plus, which is something, by the way, you and I have been talking about for a couple of years now, which is that somebody needs to bundle these streaming services together. And that's what Charter wants to do. But Charter wants Disney to do that at no additional cost. And Disney has said, no, absolutely not. And so they are currently at a stalemate in which Disney is just not on the cable service. And uh, it does not appear as though there is a dawning of a new day on a horizon and by the way if you want to read about this um there's a lot of stories but um we have a couple of them charter and disney this is cnbc uh charter and disney aren't budging in their blackout fight as the nfl season kicks off by lillian rizzo who i believe is someone we have done her stories a number of times and then there's another one that's also cnbc spec it's spectrum not i i had it wrong Spectrum owner Charter calls pay TV model broken as it battles Disney over blackout. And that's also by Lillian Rizzo. And that was from a week ago at September 1st or more than a week ago. Uh, and, and, and for those who don't know, um, Spectrum is large, millions of people. Um, so, but it's, I think it is the future, but where I think Charter's not being reasonable, especially given that Disney's hemorrhaging money at un, you know, unprecedented rates right now. I, they they can't reasonably expect Disney to just hand over all their streaming services for free. I don't think that's a reasonable position to take. Do you? Probably. I think it's unreasonable if you think you're going to win that at the negotiating table right now. Yes. Do I think it's the smart play or do I think Iger and co. should probably think about some way to play ball here i actually do agree which here's a couple things that are that are interesting to me and you're right this is not a typical hey we want you to charge 8.99 per espn cup customer rather than 7.99 which is your typical kind of carriage yeah, that's what it always has been historically right and they're always at these leverage moments right it's no shock that this is before it it's always either before the nfl season or some other big so you know that's well, a leverage business point. tactics number 101 yeah. Right. And so this on face value, if you see a headline, you think, oh, I see we see these stories twice a year and you'd be right. However, I think this one really is a battle for where this is going. And one thing that I really, you know, Charter saying basically Winfrey, I think, is their uh, CEO. Yeah, Winfrey is, yes. And I'm going to talk about him in a second because I think he's got a pretty interesting quote in, in one of these articles. But basically they're like, well, you helped destroy us. So you, you know, so, you know, so now you need us to still, so we got to be more partners. And I think that's valid, right? Um, you know, I, I understand why Winfrey's playing hardball here. So he's like, you, you help destroy our business model. You need to give a little bit back. And I don't mean out of the, the goodness of their hearts, but like, you know, there, there is still some, you know, uh, uh, they need each other still. So I think he's making that point. Also, what we have to understand is we've went from a, a highly regulated environment where we're talking about two things, even with well, three things, radio frequencies, TV frequencies, and then cable permissions. These were highly regulated things, you know, these were and they were finite assets. What the Internet has done has just blown that up to such a degree. And now broadband is so strong and the hardware in people's homes is so good that you just all that like, oh, I have to buy my radio signal or my tv that's all gone so that everything's a free agent and that's where i think we're they're fighting over here and when it was so regulated these things would make sense you know when hbo when they first started to roll this out 20 years ago hbo did come 
online with your cable subscription. You did get those things. So in some ways, what Winfrey is actually advocating for was the sort of more controlled growth pre-broadband. And he maybe he's being too nostalgic for those days. But also at the same time, no one understands the bu Disney's bundle. So I actually think if they thought about it, packaging it this way might actually grow those services. It's super fascinating. We talked about that for a couple of years, packaging yeah. it like this. Uh, here's uh, this might be the quote you're talking about. Um, this is the quote that interested me. This is Winfrey, and this is in um, the first story that I quoted or I identified for you guys. Um, if you have an environment where we no longer carry Disney content, which is becoming more and more of a potential reality, you have to say, what other additional sports content would you renew? At this point, there is very little. And what he's talking about is that Spectrum has started has apparently offering now a sports free like a smaller sports free package because their their idea here is that um if sports is going to stream all this stuff you, nobody's going to be watching sports on traditional cable anymore and so let's keep some customers um that by just packaging the entertainment channels and that's that's different because that is you know, um, sports is, gets typically some of the highest ratings of any television product. The Super Bowl is not just the only thing. The NFL blows everything away. Even like smaller sports like Major League Baseball, those ratings will dwarf like your typical like Wednesday night drama on a major network, for example. And so that quote, what Spectrum is doing to package like a non-sports package is something that a lot of people have wanted for years. The people aren't interested in sports. Not everybody's like Chris and I, who you know like watching sports. And so I, I, that might have been what you're talking about. I, I don't know what's in your head, but um, I thought that part of it is interesting. Like they let's accept the reality that sports is going to stream, and if we can't have it, we're just going to cut it out totally and offer an entertainment package. That's interesting. That is what I picked up on. My, the, I'll highlight a different quote with, along the same theme from Winfrey. And he says, as more Charters customers leave the bundle for alternative options, Winfrey said the incentive to get a deal done only lessens as the remaining customers likely won't want to watch sports anyway. So, you know, now these are tactics, right? But he's already like, hey, we can get leaner and meaner and cheaper without sport you know like in some ways and you know it's an interesting parallel to the university systems you know especially with football you know like at some point like the burden is so great that just dealing with its loss and refactoring and recommitting to your new plan whatever that is is a smarter play like at some point these things become too behemoth and rather than get crushed you get out from under them and you change course and i think that's what winfrey's saying straight up hey we'll be the bravo network you know we'll be you know we'll, you know alternative programming to sports has been along around as long as sports has been on broadcast so these people know they know you know I, i'll sound somewhat sexist in a minute for a second but they uh you know they know market to women you know they understand oh we're not you know we don't have nfl so we're going to go, you know, we're going to do puppy bowls and we're going to do 24 hours of Real Housewives or 25 years ago. It was whatever it was. They know how to counter program sports. And so I think what he's saying is, F it. We'll just do that. And that, that's exactly what he's saying. And because see, part of the complaint about cable, as everybody knows, is that it's very expensive to subscribe to this stuff. Why is it very expensive? Well, sports. a lot of these channels like ESPN. <laughs> what's that? Sports. <laughs> yeah, Sports. The ESPN fee alone is a fortune. You just can't see it because it's it's all kind of included, and they don't really break it out. At least not, you know, unless you really start digging. Uh, and, and so the idea is, we can be more competitive by making the cost less and cutting out the things that a significant portion of this audience won't either won't see or are subscribing to the streaming services that you won't give us separately. Uh, you know, then we don't really need it and we don't really need you and it'll make us more competitive. It'll allow us to keep customers. And by the way, it's okay to market to gender. I, you know, yeah. I think, you know, it's, I, there's not a problem with that. I know some people would have a problem with it. I don't, you know, it doesn't mean that you and I can't watch Bravo if we want, but I mean, the reality is like the real housewives set is mostly women, you know, yeah. let's admit the truth. It, you know, it's fine. And but there are some men that don't want to watch sports. Yeah, okay. they'll, get, they'll get alternative programming too. I mean, there's the, these, yeah. the people that decide that know what they're doing in terms of what they're going to get with viewers, and so they can calibrate that pretty easily. I mean, here's the here's the 
here's what Winfrey is sort of imagining in his head. Cord cutter calls cable company. You know, I'm I'm tired of this. Why am I paying 250? I just want my broadband, you know, cancel cable. Okay, okay, sir or madam. Uh, but what if I told you by, you know, keeping your broadband, which gets you a cheaper cable, but now we're offering the entertainment package. It's going to reduce your cable bill by a third half. And but you're not going to get sports. Do you care about sports? Actually, I don't care about sports. Oh, so you just took $75 off my bill and I keep the shows I want and don't really have to change much. Oh, OK, do that. They want those kind of interventions in that cord cutting call. They want to because they never want to, you know, they never want to accept the cord cutting. So they can start putting that the in front of these people when they call to cut the cord. They need that intervention. Yeah. And and if you really think if you can reduce the cost of the cable by just some every month. It's not that far off from the cost of subscribing to a bunch of streaming services, and it is more convenient. You know, you have one button you push, you scan to your channels, and that's it. You don't have to open up a bunch of apps on your TV or your phone or whatever else. And so it, it, there, there is a way to make it competitive. The way to make it competitive is not make everybody pay for a zillion different channels that they're never going to watch, you know, ESPN. And so I think Spectrum is going, look, if you can't give us all this stuff, screw you. We'll just do our own thing. And they'll yeah. pay the money because Netflix and HBO Max, those play ball a little bit more. Like they're making those – they're making basically old-fashioned carriage deals now where it's yes. like you can get Netflix with your Comcast. I am a beneficiary of this. Yeah. I have Xfinity, which is why I, Com, it's Comcast. Uh, you know, that's why I knew we had the wrong thing at the beginning. But Netflix is bundled in. Uh, you know, to my Comcast subscription, I'm paying for it, and you know, I know what it is, but it's bundled, and I like that. I don't have to think about it. I hate subscriptions. I don't like subscribing to a bunch of stuff. It's bundled in there. That Peacock is Universal bundled Peacock into the thing, uh, you know, as well, and and it just comes. I'm sure I'm paying for it. Of course, I'm paying for it, but it's not a separate breakout thing. HBO, um, you know, you can you have access to what's their streaming thing called now? Max. Max. You have access to that the Showtime app. You have access to that. You know, I, I have access to all the app, all the streaming services for the platforms that are on Xfinity already, except for Disney. And I think and the so, Disney bundle is the outlier here. I think it is. Yeah. And that's what Spectrum is really saying: is you got to let us have access. It is much better for our customers and Disney because they're hemorrhaging money mainly. Does they, do you, I know you understand this. Does everybody really understand the enormous amount of trouble Disney's in? They Their stock has plummeted down to like a decade low. You know, it was like around 80 bucks recently and it, it was up to 120 not too long ago. So it's plummeted in cost. They've had a bunch of real stinker movies that have just bombed. Like the Indiana Jones movie lost a half a billion dollars. Uh, you know, and they've all these a lot of these like string of um live action remakes, none of them make money. It, the the parks have lost money. That Star Wars hotel they had to close after like two or three years or something. And and the biggest thing that I've I've seen is that they actually owe Hulu some enormous amount of money, like $30 billion, to buy out the rest of Hulu. And so Disney needs money. And so um, they're not in the mood, I don't think, to necessarily reduce their fees. But at the same time, they need to cut a deal or they're going to lose that, you know, that stream of money too. So the question is, can a deal be cut? Yes, a deal can be cut. Uh, you know, reduce the cost of the streaming. So give a discount on the streaming services for um you know for the spectrum customers it's not that difficult concept no i actually think strangely enough which you wouldn't have kind of you know if you just kind of gave us a kind of black white description of what you know who would be on the winning side here we'd probably you know without any details or facts you'd probably trend toward the streamer but i actually think here the traditional media cable company is has the is actually at the better leverage point um and and they seem like they have a, a plan for the alternative. So I think – and I also think Disney will also see – these are ad-supported, right? So Hulu uh, – I don't know if they stuff. are. Are they? They are. I don't know. They are. You watch – yeah. So you go. You get ads. It's I just don't have like, – I don't subscribe to any of them. So there is revenue. So you imagine it's easier for Disney to sell those ads when the 
ad buyer knows it's on Comcast and Spectrum, you know? So they are getting, it does increase their ability to sell ads on those services. So that might be ultimately what brings Disney to the, to the table because they, it's still a revenue generator and that's still more eyeballs for more ad sales on across all those platforms. Yeah. Um, it just, I think this seems to be a bit of posturing right now. I think a deal will get cut on this you know some of this language that this the winfrey the ceo of charter and and the language that's coming out of disney seems to be kind of oh it's impossible you know business kind of negotiation 101 uh we'll walk away and this and that so i i I would think that neither side wants to lose that business so i think a deal will be cut but i do think that spectrum will press on with the non-sports package which is i have wondered why they haven't done that for years and that the reason is is that ES, espn is so expensive that they can't afford to not make everybody pay for it yeah you know but but it opens up another custom set of customer bases it really does like my mother i mean my mother wouldn't doesn't watch sports so if my mother was and she has my dad but who does watch sports but my mother would not care if she wouldn't even know what ESPN is. And so if she could cut it out, she would. Um, and there's a lot of people like her, not just because she's a woman. I mean, there's a lot of men that don't also. So it's a, we'll see what happens. I tend to think that a deal will eventually be cut. But you said something important, which is that this is Disney's an outlier in this regard. And so if, if this is – it's setting a precedent, I think. So if Disney caves on this – at a bad deal for them to Spectrum. Well, you've got Time Warner and Comcast lined up to do the same thing to them. You know, so I think they have to hold out for, they cannot just give it away. Otherwise, they're going to give it away to everybody. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I'd say the quiet winner here because of this, like, you know, pre-kickoff kerfluffle is YouTube TV. And I'm sorry, and more specifically, the NFL package on YouTube TV. Because they can, and now I know you wouldn't necessarily get those games because of blockout, but maybe you can because there's no deal in your region if you're a Comcast supporter. But all of this is just, you know, helping make the ticket on YouTube's case over time. Yes. Yeah, I, I think you, you said something important there, too, which is with the NFL on YouTube kind of is a game changer. You know, because it, it was, you know, DirecTV has a small customer base anymore, and you can't stream, you could not stream the DirecTV NFL package just anywhere. Like, Chris could, because he's in New York City. I could not, because I do not live in an urban area. And their, their DirecTV's basic rule was, in, unless you live in a place where you can't hang a satellite dish on your home, um, you have to hang a satellite dish. And so that really, I thought it was kind of a dumb marketing choice personally, but that that limited it. So YouTube, anybody could subscribe to YouTube TV. It's expensive, but anybody can. And and a I just lot of signed people, up. I just signed up for a Thursday. Oh, Last Thursday, you? I oh, refuse. Yeah. So I'm not doing that. So I'll continue my uh, semi questionable methods of getting NFL games <laughs> for now. We'll leave it at that. Um, but no, I, I I think that seems to be a game changer a little bit, and it. I, to me, it kind of legitimizes uh, streaming of sports a little bit more than it was before when you have the entire NFL uh, available on a streaming service, not just a game here and there. And not and like you have to hang a satellite dish on a house to get it. Yeah. And and Winfrey, see, he, I mean, he's obviously good at his job, probably at least knows his industry. He also sees where this is going. You know, and these all these stories that we talk about are connected. The regional sports networks folding means there's a lot less local regional content, uh, you know, through sports packages. You know, they're consolidating those things back at central headquarters, especially in Major League Baseball, where they're going to be the innovators and direct it consumer league uh, team passes and per games and all that stuff, obviously with the YouTube NFL. So he knows too, that the sub ecosystem of regional and smaller broadcast networks that brought is also going direct to stream direct to consumer too. So the, the sports available on TV is going to start drying up a lot. Well, and the next step needs to be to get rid of the blackout rules. It's when are these local stations going to be frozen out? Some yeah, point. Well, thank I God think they did they that will. in the NFL. What's that? 
Thank God they did that in the NFL, what, like seven or eight years ago? Yeah. Um, but well, I'm talking about like um, – Oh, not, you, wait, yeah. Like the streaming blackouts. Because, for example, in Major League Baseball's extra innings, I live in the Houston area. I cannot get the Astros games on this thing. You, they make you watch the local channel. What I'm saying is, at some point, there's going to be enough money on it, they're just going to freeze those local channels out. That's yeah, what I'm totally. saying. Yeah. Um. So, so, super fast. Who knows? They might have a deal by the time you're listening to this, you know, because, I mean, they have, you know, like – is the Monday night football game going to be broadcast on, on uh charter? That's yes the or big no question. That's yeah. the question. Yeah. So we'll see. I actually, my prediction, which will sound dumb because you probably already know when you're listening to this, I actually predict that this first Monday night game will not be broadcast on charter. I don't think they'll figure it out by eight 15 on Monday night. Oh, I kind of agree with you. I, it's look, it's we're recording this on Saturday morning. Not to say you can't negotiate over a weekend, but uh, you know, if they're not close, they're not going to, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I don't I don't think they're going to get it done by, by uh, Monday night. No, I do not. Well, we are ramping up for another NFL season, um, one that should be uh, thrilling and exciting and all those things like it is every year. Uh, the kickoff game was wildly successful on by all metrics. But the new metric that we're tracking with sports in general and the nfl as the flagship for all of this um is the estimates on individual americans making bets this year gambling on sports we're starting to collect data here about how this is working and it looks to be working quite well yeah so there's another cnbc story a record 73 million Americans plan to bet on the NFL this season. The survey says published the 6th of September by Jessica Golden and Contessa Brewer. I think we've done both their stories yep. before, too. Um, okay, so that's, seven, according to the article, the column, uh, that 73 million number is a 60% increase over last season. 60% is, uh, that is a lot. Um, 14% plan to place bets online. Um and there's a bunch of other great numbers, you know, in here too. Um, last year it was 46 million, um, and um, it says the the association, which is the American Gaming Association, which is I, I think the professional gambling association, you know, must be, um, says 90 percent of American adults plan to place a bet online, up 56 percent. Um, 35.1 million people, which is 14% plan to bet online, while 13.6 um, or 5% plan to be at a physical sports book. Um, and they mention in here, by the way, that Washington, apparently FedEx has a physical sports book in the stadium. I didn't even realize that. But according to this, according to this um, story, they do. So we've also touched on this before, but, it, but they note in here, it's worth noting again, the NFL signed a five-year deal with DraftKings, FanDuel, and Caesars in 2021. We go backwards even like even a decade. The NFL wanted nothing to do with gambling. What was the game changer is a story we covered, which was the Supreme Court decision that said it was unconstitutional to have gambling, federal gambling bans in everywhere but two states. And so the Supreme Court said, if you're going to let it go in New Jersey and Nevada, you got to let it to everybody. And that is what's opened up this world. And that doesn't mean individual states can't ban gambling. Like in Texas, I cannot do this. But 30, I think it was 34 states now allow gambling in some shape or fashion. So the NFL has embraced gambling in a way that they never have before because guess what? They can make more money on it. Because what is the theme of this show? It's just business, and it's all about the money at the end of all. We told you from day one in the show, money is what matters most, no matter what anybody thinks. So I think this is uh, – I was not expecting these kind of numbers. It, you know, that, To me, this is humongous. Well, I, I have officially placed one – already placed one bet, so you can, you know, uh, you can move me from the intending to to – What you bet done. on? I actually took the commanders at six and a half wins. I think that was easy money, all, all things considered, just on a pure analytical uh, uh, view. So the over and under six and a half, that's what you took? Yeah. You took the took over, over or the under? Yeah, I took the over. I My official guess for the season was six and 11. So I'd lose by half a game. Um, 
Yeah. But but even the fact that you'd be that close, it shows you that an over is a is a, a fairly good bet. So well, that's even, but if you look at the schedule, that's kind of the break point, you know. Yeah. So it's a pretty good line. Yeah, no. So it it, it was a good line because it tempted me to bet. That's what a good line does. Yeah, that's what I'm um, saying. That's yeah. the good line is not. If you guys don't understand this, the good line is not an accurate prediction. The good line is the one that makes people bet on it. And I might put one more under on. I'm such a you know. It's so funny. I'm such a small stakes gambler. I'm still working off money I won two Super Bowls ago, and then I just make little like five, ten, ooh. I get crazy, make a twenty dollar bet, um, and I've just been. I've been from my initial probably fifty dollars on my account two years ago Super Bowl. I haven't put another dime in, and I'm still in the plus. I don't enjoy gambling on sports because I'm very very cheap, and it just kind of ruins sports for me. I just want to enjoy a game. I don't want to have to worry about money. So that's my thought on it. But are you surprised? Of the growth in one year, this level of growth going from no forty six million to seventy three million in a year, I'm surprised it grew that much. Uh, I'm not. I mean, well, I mean those are those are big numbers. So I'm not saying I'm not diminishing that that they're big that they're big numbers. I just don't think I'm surprised by the fact that that also you know it's a legitimacy issue. You also have to factor in that. Even three years ago, five years ago, people would be embarrassed to say it, right? That they're betting on, they're, they got a bookie, they're going offshore, they're using like sketchy sites, even the even their their fantasy leagues and their like friend group gambling. It was more taboo. That, so if, as that taboo lessens and you get more people will say, yeah, I'm going to make a bet where a couple of years ago, like, wait, what? No, I don't bet. You know, so well, yeah, some of it, a couple of years ago, it was like online, like these sketchy sites in the Caribbean right. and like the Bahamas. And yeah, so it's easier. So more people are doing it and there's less uh, there's less stink on it. So people, when you get asked a question in like a survey, do you plan on making a bet? Yeah, maybe I will. You know, it's a different Social mores have changed too, so people aren't embarrassed about saying they're gambling on sports. No, I mean I think it's more of a um, traditional conservative value to not uh, to not gamble, and so I think you have a lot of the more conservative jurisdictions in the country um, are the states that don't allow it for that reason. I mean, you can make your individual judgments about how you feel about it, but I think that's kind of where where it comes from and as the country has kind of gotten more and more away from that that's it's become more and more acceptable and the other thing really is that like DraftKings and FanDuel in particular have become kind of accepted normal businesses where they don't they're not viewed as like the sketchy Tony Soprano you know running you know a gambling house with a bunch of guys who are going to break your legs I think the public views DraftKings and FanDuel as legit and so they're not afraid to use it, you know, because like DraftKings started out, if I recall, as a fantasy site, you know, where daily you fantasy. Make, yeah. yeah, right. And now it's just become flat out gambling. But because they've been in a public consciousness for so long uh, and they start out as fantasy, I think it has an air of legitimacy more than like even like Caesars because people see Caesars as Vegas. But DraftKings and FanDuel are more kind of a normal business a little bit. So I think that makes people feel better about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and all the marketing is right and they have celebrities and, and also it's, a, it's a, if you watch any sports related show, there's gambling content. It's, it, it's fully integrated into all parts of talking about sports. Yeah. I mean, again, the NFL's embraced it, which amazes me in some respects because the, the, before the, the concern was, was that, if they get too close to gambling, people are going to question the legitimacy of the game. And now that concern like, has totally gone out the window. <laughs> the NFL doesn't seem to be concerned about that at all anymore. Um, the only thing that they're doing is that they are nailing players at a much higher rate. Now, we, uh, we mentioned this a few weeks ago. Um, they, are, they have busted many, many people for gambling. In, in years past, they haven't. So I, that's... I think the step that they're taking to make sure that the public thinks still believes the game is legit and not corrupt is that. But um, it's kind of funny that 
the it's just business part caused them to just go, ah, you know, it's we're not going to worry about that because there's too much money at stake. Yeah, I mean, but also they were always talking out of both sides of their mouth. I mean, let's not forget this is a a league whose one of their major broadcast arts for twenty years was a, a man named Jimmy the Greek, whose only job was to, <laughs> well, was only job was to handicap games and had legitimate mob connections. To be fair. That was CBS. That was not the NFL. Yeah, but they, but their business partners. If the NFL had a problem with that, they would have. It would not have happened. And Maybe the NFL wasn't Jimmy quite was, that Jimmy powerful was back then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's what eventually did him in. But that was after being on. Uh, you know, for like forever. Yeah. Yeah. It, he was just a flat-out gambling person. He was not a sports broadcaster there was no in subtext. any capacity. No. Yeah, no. <laughs> Jimmy the Greek. You know? And he was connected to those folks. It was like... 100%. You know, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Funny stuff. Um, what the heck is our last story, Steve? I totally blank. Well, we're going to do Dwayne Haskins, and we're uh, going right. to touch the HBO Real Sports the thing. The saga of Dwayne. Okay, so Dwayne Haskins... Tragically passed away, what, two years ago now? Um, and it was right always kind now, of... actually. Yeah, it was always kind of a strange story because the story was that he was... He got run over on a highway, which is very odd. Like, what is he doing on a highway? And, um, you know, what is he doing wandering around? And how do you... you know, did he, he? The original story was that he was trying to cross a freeway, which, having done that in my younger days once, it's a really dumb thing to do. Please <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I had a friend of mine said, you know... We had to get to the movie theater, and it was across the freeway, so we ran across the freeway. Not smart. And Dwayne got run over and tragically killed. And so um, it, it always seemed like something's kind of missing. And then there was stories that you know he was uh, had drugs and alcohol in his bloodstream and whatnot. Um, well, now, and I'm happen to be reading this on SI, but it's been in a couple other places. This is as Dwayne Haskins Jr. blackmailed and robbed prior to death by Matt. Galatzan dated August 20th. This is something we just missed before. So now his estate, meaning his family, um, has filed a lawsuit. One, they've partially settled some claims against some people, but um, the claims stem from a lawsuit filed last April in which they allege that the quarterback was targeted, blackmailed, and robbed. Um, I have not read this petition because I, I, I just haven't found it and pulled it yet. Um, but basically, they're alleging that there's a lot more to the story that ended up with him wandering around a freeway. Um, they're alleging that um, he got blackmailed, he got robbed, and he kind of had to you know escape. Um, part of the flaw in the story was that he had, his blood alcohol content was apparently at 02 According to this story, which is very, very high and certainly should have been driving no matter what. Um, this story, I don't know about you, but um, without, especially without any facts that we've seen, any discovery, it strikes me as a bit of a Hail Mary here. Um, one, in terms of reality, and two, it kind of doesn't excuse w- what he was doing driving a car anyway. You know, so I don't know. It seems a bit fantastic. Certainly, we're not here to disparage his memory, anything like that. But I find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to prove these kind of claims. Thoughts? Well, they're, you know, the story as they tell it starts to sound like something right out of my uh, favorite crime novelist, R.I.P., Elmore Leonard, you know, where we got all these people like manipulating a rich person to do somehow, you know, but sort of the long con, you know, lots of different scams. So who who knows? I think they're, you know, they're saying he was being basically manipulated and scammed this whole time. So they don't really explain like how that ended up with him wandering on a freeway, though. That's the part I don't totally know. It's it's a gap. I mean, but you can start to fill that in, you know, like, did they who knows? But like, yeah, this is uh, all kinds of, of wacky stuff. I am a little surprised that it this is has as much legs as it does, which actually to me lends some credence that there might be a there there. Well, I mean, you can allege a lot of things in a petition in a lawsuit that you can't prove. And a lot of times you're filing these petitions just to leverage out an insurance settlement. Uh, you know, and so it's 
I hesitate to take anything as true just because it's in a petition, uh, you know, and his family's grieving and they're reaching and, you know, they, they may just think this is true and they just can't get over the loss of their family member and they want to blame somebody. I mean, it could be that. Uh, we'll see what happens. Again, they've already partially settled some of these claims. I would bet at least your life, maybe not my life, <laughs> that those are insurance companies because insurance companies have no to, uh, no appetite for these kind of things. So they probably, whatever insurance companies involved probably just said, pay them, get rid of them, and we want out. So that's probably the settlement. Now, there's no criminal investigation yet, mm -mm. right? Right, so no, that's a big that's, hole. Yeah, that's the thing. If there was a if there was a legit criminal investigation here, and the statute of limitations is not run in this, you know, for criminal charges, and so it's when you see somebody file a lawsuit like this without a criminal charge, usually accompanying criminal charge, usually it means there's not really evidence of it. Uh, you know, um, yes, the the statute, the the standard of proof in a civil suit is much low, lower. Okay, it's basically a more likely than not 51% to 49% standard where it's criminal standard is, is a much, much higher burden. So, um, if you don't, if you see a criminal case, usually that means there's some basis in reality. So I, that's partly why I tend to doubt this. Yeah. Right. I mean, you'd think there'd be something going on if, if all of these, you know, machinations were happening that, that, led to the events of this night without without any without any kind of investigation it seems maybe it is dubious uh we just can't let this guy rest though i mean it's just story it's well, like a zombie story yeah i mean i i don't know i mean i'm not going to pretend to be in their shoes i've never been in their shoes um a part of me would want to move on i would think if i was in that rather than having to relitigate this forever yeah seriously um all right we're we're about to to bounce out here, but we did want to say uh, quickly that the 27 year run, I think 29 of years, 29 of HBO real sports hosted by Brian Gumpel um, is closing. Uh, what's it's stopping broadcasting. It's ending its run. That's, that's a pretty long run. So, you know, no, not too many tears shed for that. Um, but it is notable and it really does sort of, you know, the, which we've talked about a couple other times with the death of uh, long form journalism here. That's a big blow. Uh, other properties, um, you know, uh, but ESPN had a similar tile show that's now gone away. No, there's not that much interested in long form journalism. Yeah, um, I'm going to take a stab and say if you're listening to this show, especially at minute 52, um, you would probably enjoy long-form journalism and detailed, in-depth stories. I, it's, uh, if you want to read about this, by the way, we have a column for you. Um, Real Sports Brian Gumbel coming to an end on HBO after 29 seasons. This is on The Athletic. Richard Deesh and The Athletic staff, September 6th. Um, I think it's kind of sad, and I think it's part of it. It's, at some level, you know, Brian Gumbel's been doing it forever. Maybe he's just tired, but maybe he wants to retire. Maybe wants to go knit you know who knows but um it doesn't necessarily mean they don't have an, a market for it considering um how long it's been around but i do think it's a little bit of a sign of a time a sign of the times in american society um when everything is instantaneous delivery people don't have the attention spans that they used to have the idea of watching an hour of long form journalism about in-depth stories um, is not, you know, we're talking about young people who like one minute TikTok videos, uh, you know? And so I think the market for this is a lot less than it was in the show that Chris is talking about on ESPN was behind the lines. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it was kind of similar. And I thought behind the lines was very well done too. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of ESPN stuff because I think they get too political, but behind the lines is really good. And, and uh, as was Real Sports, and Real Sports had just some stats here. Um, began in 1995, over 300 episodes in total, 37 sports Emmys, and three Peabody Awards. HBO's longest-running sports story, um, and there were all kinds of great stories that they covered over decades. So I'm gonna miss the show. I tried to catch it whenever I could. Um, as, as I did behind the lines. So kind of sad, I think, 
uh, your thoughts? Well, one, it actually reminded me, which I didn't even remember, but one of their long-running reporters was Armin Katain. Yes. Armin Katain is the one that now is the co-writer of this new uh, Billy Walters book. He's You plugged that last time. I still need to go find it. Yeah, so we were even thinking maybe we'll do a book club on that one and read it because that's supposedly a wild book. So, you know, it also was a, a, a you know, a James Brown was a reporter on there. There's yes, a lot right. of great reporters came came through there. Um, so it also kind of was a safe, you know, a lot of good storytellers did that. I, I found on the art, athletic article, the first comment to me, this guy thinks this is some kind of dunk on the show. It's a dunk on himself. But I think it does sort of really sum up what you're talking about, Steve. So the first by Dan L. I've never seen one episode of this show, and I'm old enough that I could have seen them all. You know, <laughs> he thinks that's a dunk on the show. You know, that's a dunk on you, dude. You know, like, yeah, that is. <laughs> You know, like, okay, you don't like you didn't watch it, but like the fact that you have to, you know, like that's somehow like some big, you know, whatever. People are such morons. But yeah, it's sad to see. It also really to me and sports was a huge building block of HBO going back to their early days in the 70s. I think they had they had the where cable wasn't a thing. They had the cable rights to the Thriller of Manila, you know, like boxing was huge, obviously. Um, Sports helped build the HBO empire. And I think now with real sports sunsetting. I think Hard Knocks is their only sports pro- sports show, and I think they've actually moved that into the documentary department. I don't even think they have a proper sports department anymore. See, I thought when we talked about this before, when we were off the air, that boxing was still on HBO on some capacity, and you're telling me it's not. I'm pretty sure it's not. I could be wrong, and they might have gotten a little slice back. But I know Showtime got a lot of it, but yeah, I don't. But I don't, and I don't make. Maybe I just didn't pay attention in the last like couple of years, but I'm pretty sure HBO uh, boxing is not on HBO. But even if it is, it's small. Yeah, yeah, very, very small. Um, and I, I just can't imagine that HBO does have a sports department anymore. Really, no, they just con- subcontract out Hard Knocks under their documentary department yeah. and go from there. Well, plug the the gambling book again. Oh, what is Billy Walters a life? Or let me see if I can. Yeah, well, well, I because I'm gonna read that next. I'm reading a book right now called Operation Pineapple Express by Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, which details the evacuation of of uh, Afghan nationals out of Afghanistan after uh, the Biden administration surrendered in Afghanistan um, two years ago. Really good book, but I want to read this one you're talking about next. If Chris can find it, I'm gonna keep vamping here until he finds yeah, it. Yes, sorry, I'm gonna do it on my phone, <laughs> but that's I- okay. But um. So Brian Gumble, I think, was an interesting guy because he started out in remember the Today Show, and but he did sports before Today Show though. Yeah, well that's true yeah. he did, but he got away from sports and then he got back into sports, you know. And his brother, of course, is in sports, you know. Also, um, I don't know what Gump, but he's got to be in his 70s. late yeah at least I was going to say late sixties, but maybe seventies. So I I don't think that. The show disappearing is really because I, I think a big part of it may be just be like he is personally tired of it. Twenty nine years is a long time to do anything. Yes, that's exactly right. He was born in nineteen forty eight, so yeah, that makes him seventy five. Holy Christ, I didn't realize he was that old. Wow. Yeah. All right, here we go. So we'll read this, and maybe we'll do a, a book club type of thing. Uh, it's called Gambler: Secrets from a Life at Risk. Billy Walters uh, with, you know, co-written, ghost-written, however you want to say. I think he actually is called out by name. Um, so co-writer Armin Katain. There you go. A life at risk. It's All just right, so, business book club. Yeah, I, I think it, it should be fun. The book is appar- apparently crazy town with this guy's life. I mean, he's like lived five lives or whatever. Um, so season's kicking off. It will have... Well, it has kicked off as we're recording this, the Thursday night game, but the full slate will, mo- you know, by the time you hear this, maybe with the exception of Monday night, will be played. Steve, what's the transition from the hog side? Well, yeah, we're still doing the Wednesday. We're going to do the Wednesday shows in lieu of what we used to do, which was the game recap game preview thing. Um, so we have that. We have all of our regular written content. Of course, our game pre written game preview will come out Fridays and we'll have a, a bunch of analysis and stuff every week. My prediction for this game was my season prediction was six and eleven, but this particular game I think Washington wins pretty big. I said twenty four ten 
What's your prediction for this game? Of course, the, the prediction of the game will have already happened by the time this comes out, so we'll see if we're right. Ooh, I'm going to stay away from a final score. Okay. And I, ho- I hope I'm wrong, but I think the Cardinals cover, and it's closer than people fear, but still with a Washington win. All right, we'll see who's right. By the time you listen to this, one of us will be right. <laughs> That's true. All right, Steve. Uh, We will talk in two weeks.